The reading is from Luke 1, verses 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good, good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Well, good morning, everyone. Bear with me a second while I just get my bearings. It's good to be here. My, my name's uh, Joth Hunt, if you've not met me before. I'm one of these strange things that they call regional ministers. Oh, I've got this still on, haven't I? I forgot to take it off. It's great to be the speaker because you can take your mask off. I'm one of these strange things called regional ministers. Uh, and you may ask me, and people do, they say, what, what does a regional minister do? What's, what's the purpose of a regional minister? Well, within our Baptist family, our Baptist connections, Baptists have always sent, tried to connect together. And they've used people like myself. We used to be called messengers, actually. And they would send them from the local church to other local churches to kind of connect each church together and to send messages of greetings from one church to another. So they used to get on horseback. I'd like to say that I came on horseback today, but... Uh, I find a Skoda does about the, as good a job as a, a horse nowadays. Uh, and, and they would bring greetings from one church to another and, and tell the churches of the things that God is doing amongst the wider church. Uh, so that's part of my job and my, part of my role. I've been doing it for four years. I'm your regional minister here at Waypoint. And when I started this role, I particularly sensed God was saying to me, encourage the hearts of the saints. I don't know whether you feel encouraged as a church. You should do. Uh, you have much before you, and God is doing some great things amongst you. But there are moments, aren't there, in church life, you know, through COVID, but just generally in terms of culture, that church seems to be in the background of many people's lives and is much to be discouraged about. So my hope and my dream and my prayer is that, Lord, may I encourage those that I meet as I journey from one place to another. So at the end of this service, if you're not encouraged, then uh, please just leave without speaking to me. Uh, and if you are encouraged, we'll come and say hello if you can. Uh, one, of the, one of the little practices that I'm beginning to do is to take greetings from one church to another. And I don't know if that, my PowerPoint actually arrived. Uh, this is the church that I was with uh, last week. And this is Colne Avenue Baptist Church. And I said to them, do you mind if I take a picture of you all greeting Waypoint? Because I told them that I was going to be with you uh, for this service. So that is them saying, yes, we're, we send our greetings. Cole Avenue is in Southampton. It's in a, a, 
quite a deprived housing area, some really challenging things that are going on there. This little church is growing, which is fantastic, under this guy called Chris here. Uh, pray for Chris and his wife. Chris is not very well at the moment, but Chris is a fantastic fellow who's doing amazing work serving this church, serving the community, and, and they're hoping and praying to open a well-being cafe uh, soon in the future. So they are sending their greetings to you. Do you receive them? Yes. Great, thank you. Now, do you mind if... <laughs> you knew this was coming, didn't you? Do you mind if... Uh, and this may not be so easy. I don't know if we could put some more lights up. Is, it, is that... Oh, beautiful. Thank you. God, your technology is fantastic. Do you mind if I just take a photograph of you guys sending your greetings, not to Colne Avenue but to Baddersley Baptist Church. Do you know Baddersley area near Romsey? Because uh, that's where I'll be in the new year, and I'd like to send your greetings to them. Is that okay? If anyone's got a problem with that, come and see Jim afterwards. And, uh, we're sort of, it's not going to go on social media. It's just going to go on a PowerPoint that I can present to them or a picture of some sort. So let's, uh, let's see. I'm just going to see. Yeah, I thought this could be a bit tricky. Okay, we're going to do something. So I'm going to move here. We're going to try a pano. Yeah? All right? Now, this means, okay, that you're all going to have to go <laughs> like that. Should we practice that? Okay, after three. One, two, three. Now, you're going to hold that while I pan in a moment right across to this side, okay? Um, and I'll try and keep my hands... I'm not very good at these panos, but... Uh, are you ready? One... Two, three. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Oh, I've got my finger in the way. Actually, let's start that again. <laughs> I don't think it's ever been done in a church before. This is hilarious. Forget God's word, let's just do some photographs. I mean, it is COVID and social media is all the rage. Okay, here we go again. One, two, three. Hold. <laughs> Get my big fingers out of the way. Oh, we're off the line by a long way. This is the tricky bit. I've got a turtle slide. I think this will work. Uh, you're looking beautiful. <laughs> Almost there. We just cut Jim out. No, okay, we'll put you in. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Great. Um, I did say I wander around a bit, uh, so forgive me, cameras and people online. I'll stand a little bit over here because apparently there's an issue with the screen if I stand too centrally uh, for those watching online. Uh, just, just to say, just in case you're sitting there thinking, what a strange name that fellow's got, Joth. It is a funny name. It is a silly name, really, isn't it? Just to say, my real name is Jonathan. So if you're kind of thinking, you know, I don't know how to pronounce Joth. Some people call me Josh which is, okay, that's okay, but it's not actually my name. Uh, my real name's Jonathan. My parents called me Jonathan. I met this uh, lovely girl some years ago at Kingston Polytechnic, and she decided that she would change my name from Jonathan to Joth. And the reason that she did it, because there were so many Johns and Jonathans around in the college at the time, that she thought this would be a good way of identifying this new Jonathan that had just arrived. So she changed it to Joth. She then became my girlfriend, she then became my fiancée. She's now my wife. 
And you can see that actually Joth has kind of continued into my life. She actually comes from a family that changes names all the time. Her dad says to me that he can't remember people's names. So he changes their names and some, for some reason he remembers the changed name rather than their proper name. I don't get that, but that's what he says. But his whole family, other than his daughter Sue, is uh, renamed. So Sue's youngest brother is called David, but we all call him Bingley or Uncle Bob. Work that one out. Her oldest brother is, is Jeffrey, but we call him Chuck. And that's the kind of family that she comes from. My family, however, my mum and dad, insist that you call people by their proper name. So, when, so they called their, their three boys, Nigel, David, and Jonathan. Nigel, Dave, and John. And yet they insist that we should be called Jonathan, David, and Nigel. These two worlds, these two families collide. I'm in the middle of that. So I just share that as for a bit of sympathy, a bit of understanding. But if you want to call me Joth, that's absolutely fine. You're with my wife. If you want to call me Jonathan, I think you're my mother. That's absolutely fine as well. Um, I normally just share that with people. Let's, let's turn to God's Word. We had it read to us, and if you've got a, a Bible in front of you, you'll want those verses in front of you from Luke 1, verses 46 onwards. But before we um, look at those verses, I just wondered whether you've ever thought about this page in the Bible. It's the one between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I wonder if you've ever pondered what that represents. I mean, it represents nothing in, in, in some senses. But actually, what that page, that, this, that page is quite significant. Not that anything is written in terms of scripture on it, but that page represents 400 years. 400 years of Israel's history. And it's almost as if, now I'm not, I'm not suggesting God was silent, but it's almost as if God has got nothing to say within that 400 years. Significant things happen. Just before this page was written, not that it was written, you understand, because nothing was written on it, but before this page took place, the people had returned from exile under the Persians. Soon after that, the Greeks took over Alexander the Great, and they lived as a province under his command for many hundreds of years. And then in about the 60s, before Christ was born, the Romans took, took over. They conquered under Pompey, and, uh, and, and the Israelites waited and waited and waited. In fact, actually, the point of the Assyrians coming and, and moving the Israelites into exile, they had been under the control of other nations. And the people of Israel waited and prayed and longed and hoped and believed in the message of God that one day God will break in again and begin to write his story again. And that's what you get with the New Testament. So as you turn that page, and sometimes you might just want to hold it and remember 400 years of waiting. As you turn that page, suddenly God is beginning to do something fresh and something new. The Messiah, the promised one, is coming. God is coming in flesh to dwell amongst them. And as the page is turning, it's almost as if heaven has been waiting and the earth has been waiting and the, the righteous ones of God have been praying and seeking God and then suddenly, what do you get? Angels arriving and speaking to priests. Dreams to a guy called Joseph. 
Mary meeting Gabriel and being told this amazing thing that's going to take place in her life. Shepherds on the hillside hear the greatest flash mob ever taken place in history up on the hillside. And suddenly God is on the move. God is at work. Stuff is being written down and and told. The shepherds are telling everyone what they've seen and heard. They're so excited about what God is doing. And in the midst of that, four carols. Did you know this? Four carols were written. And we're going to look at the first carol. I'm really encouraged by your flash mob idea, by the way. I love carols. Do you like carols? I love singing carols. I long for singing carols in the snow. Because one year we went out as young people in a church called Seaford Baptist Church, or the town Seaford, and that it started to snow as we were singing carols. I remember that day. I loved that day. I want to encourage you to join in the carol. Not the flash mob, although, yes, please join the flash mob. That would be fantastic. But I want you to join in the very first carol that was ever written. Someone said to me the other day, isn't that Silent Night? I said, no, that's the one we sing all the time, but that's not the first one. The first one was the one that was read to us, and it's written by this wonderful, humble servant of the Lord, Mary. And you heard the words that were written to us, and we, we, I'm going to reflect on these over our next few minutes together. What a great carol it is. And my desire for you is that you may join in with her carol. Three things that I just want to highlight from what she has to say. And the first thing is this. In the carol, and if you've got it in front of you, you'll see this. In the carol, we see a person that is full of worship. Her heart is filled with praise. What does she say right at the beginning? My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things. Holy is his name. I love Christmas. Um, I don't love the rush of it, and I don't love the panic of it, and I don't like all the anxiety of thinking crumbs, I haven't even started my Christmas shopping yet. I don't enjoy any of that. But what I do enjoy about a spiritual discipline as us as Christians is that we come seasonally to a place where we go through this thing called Advent. We're reminded of the waiting. We're reminded of the expectation. We're reminded of the hope. And we're brought back time and time again to this place where we remember God breaks into our world in an incredible, remarkable, wonderful way in the person of Jesus Christ. I think that's a really important discipline. I think it's essential that we come back time and time again. Why? Because actually I believe at the very centre of Christian faith, the very centre of following Jesus is worship. It's people who worship Jesus. It's people that are filled up deep inside themselves that says, say, say to God, God, you have done amazing things. You have done remarkable things. My soul rejoices in you. Does your soul rejoice today? Are you getting excited, not about Christmas particularly, but are you getting re-excited that Jesus came and entered into this world for you and I, came and lived amongst us, historical fact, was a person, flesh and blood, 
And what a wonderful story it is. A true story of God's grace and goodness. Is your well of worship being filled again in the midst of winter when actually it's a little bit kind of hard work? Oh, yeah, we were with friends yesterday. I won't tell you who they were. And she, she said this. She, she makes me laugh. But she said this really funny thing. She said, she said uh, I lost God for a while. I lost him. I said, where were you? Soul survivor. Not a good place to lose God, I would suggest to you. She, what she was reflecting on is that she felt she'd given out so much, so much to these young people that she'd taken to soul survivor that she'd just kind of lost on God. But then she said, and then we went to Greenbelt and I found him there. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. I, for many of us, we do, we do go through those moments and we think, oh, I've lost my love for my Lord. Why don't you use this Christmas time to rediscover the story? Rediscover God's grace in Christ. But note this, please, note this, because, you know, we, we come to worship here in the gathered form, and that's really important. I'm absolutely up for that. But worship starts in your heart and soul. Worship is personal. Do you notice that for Mary? What she says, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. For the mighty one has done great things for me. And however much, you know, it's nice to lean on everyone else's faith. And it's great to have worship leaders, isn't it? Isn't it great to have worship leaders that lead us in worship, that draw us into that place of God, the precious gift that God has always given to his people. These people are important. But actually, you personally have a responsibility to be a leader of worship for yourself. That this is something that's personal, that starts not inside a gathering. This is, this is the moment when we express our worship together. Our worship actually dwells up, wells up inside us, outside of such gatherings to some extent. You know, my prayer and hope is for local church is that you come filled with worship, not kind of dry and saying, come and fill me up, but actually we're engaged in a relationship with our living Lord Jesus to the point that we're so excited we can't wait to get to church to let it all out and say, isn't God good? Isn't he, isn't he wonderful? My heart is full of worship and praise for him. It's personal, isn't it? If it's not personal, then actually, is it Rob or Ron or Roy who was leading us in worship? Rob. Okay, you've got three names now, mate. You know, it's not up to Rob to fill himself up and come and fill us up. It's for us to come filled so that may be amplified and heard in the very place of heaven. You know, when I, uh, I became a Christian at the age of seven, I'm so grateful that my parents were good Christian people, still are. I'm so grateful for that. But at the age of seven, I realized that I had to make a choice. And it had to be my choice, not their choice. At the age of seven, I made two very important decisions in my life. One was slightly less important than the other, I have to tell you. One was to support Liverpool Football Club for the rest of my days. <laughs> I've won a few fans and the rest of you lost. And then the second one, more important, was to follow my Lord and my saviour, Jesus Christ. 
I remember standing in an evangelical church on a little platform at the front as a seven-year-old singing, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. It's personal. It's personal. It's about you and me and about our faith and love of Jesus Christ. So the first thing that I just gain out of this song, as we join in this carol, to recognize that it is Mary's personal worship, personal praise. Second thing is about her private humility. There are a number of times that she mentions here, I've been mindful of the humble state of his servant. I am the Lord's servant, she said in verse 38 when she speaks to Gabriel. She is a person that actually recognizes that she is in a place of humility. Mary had no right to be used by God as far as, as, far as kind of Jewish tradition and expectation was concerned. She was a number of things. One, she was a Jew and politically they were under the, the, the governance of Rome at that time. So how was she going to give birth to a king? But she was also young, probably just out of childhood. We're not 100% sure, but she was, she was young. Young people, children, had a low status. And she was uneducated. And I apologise to all the ladies here, but thank God we don't live in such times. But in her time, she was female and therefore also had a low status in society. But she did not hold that against the world. She recognised the state of which she was. And actually before God, she recognised, I think, it's not quite in the, in the carol, but I think this is true, she recognised that she was a sinner before God. And amazed that he would come and use her. Humility in Mary is often spoken about, but I don't think we want to miss it in this moment of the carol. It's a remarkable gift. A remarkable, it's not even a gift, it's a characteristic. It's something actually each and every one of us should aspire to. But it's private humility. Although we see it publicly, and I'll, I'll mention that in a moment, it, is, it starts as a private humility. It's not a sense of saying to people, oh, look how humble I am. It's actually recognising that before God, we are the lowest of low. Paul says it as well, doesn't he, when he writes to Timothy, I am the worst of sinners, he says. I didn't deserve that God would use me. And yet God did. And Mary's the same. She recognises her humble state before God. But in her recognition of her humble state, she also recognises that it is God's right to lift her up. It's God that does the lifting. Did, did you notice that in the psalm, which, in, in the carol, where she says, uh, the mighty one has brought down rulers from his thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good, good things, but sent the rich away empty. This is one of the exciting things that I get about the gospel message. It picks up people that are in low state and raises them up into the glory of God. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that remarkable? She, she calls herself a servant. Actually, the, the Greek language is doulos. And actually, that's not servant. That word is slave. And actually, I wish, 
And I understand for very good reasons why actually most of the Bible translations do not translate it slave. I understand that because it can be misunderstood. And don't misunderstand me at this point in time. I'm not suggesting anyone should be a slave. But there is a difference between a servant and a slave. A servant is employed, i.e. as they serve, they get some sort of reward from their service. A slave is owned. And what she's actually saying to God, she's saying to God, I'm not your servant, i.e. I'll do this and you'll do that for me. She's saying, I'm your slave, I, I belong to you. I belong to you. And actually, each one of us as Christians, that's what we're doing. When we say we're going to follow Jesus, we're disciples, but we're also, and I wouldn't use this language too readily, but in a sense we're saying, Lord, we, we don't expect anything from you. We're not going to do it so that you reward us. <laughs> we do it out of love. And we belong to you now. We don't belong to us. Pride is when we feed ourselves, when we, we own ourselves. That's what pride is. Humility is when we say to God, you own us. We belong to you. Mary is such a person. Do you want to join in the carol? The carol of humility of Mary. And then finally, but actually just as importantly, she enters into, and this is remarkable, she enters into public prophecy. Now this whole, whole carol that she writes, or she say, I, I like to think she sung it, don't you? I mean, it says she said here, but I, I like to think she sung it. I'd love to know what the tune was. Well, maybe one day we'll listen to it in heaven. Wouldn't that be great to hear Mary sing this song? That would be absolutely fantastic. But in this, you know, she moves and shifts from the personal, from the beginning of this, into the public. And she begins to prophesy. She begins to speak of the things of God. She says this, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones but lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Just as he promised his ancestors. And in those words, what we discover is she is declaring to the world the things of God. She's prophesying. Now, I'm going to get really Baptist with you now. And I know you're kind of, kind of there in terms of Baptist stuff. But uh, yeah, we Baptists love the principle of all-believer ministry, don't we? The priesthood of all believers is what we call it. Do you believe in that? Three, yeah. I did wonder whether... Okay, let's try this. Well, I get a little bit frustrated on this um, because I, I absolutely believe in that. But I think we're more than that as Baptists. In fact, actually, I think Christians should be more than that. Not only are we a priesthood of all believers, but we are also a band of prophets. Do you believe that? Oh, good. Yeah, you're more excited about that one, aren't you, Waypoint? <laughs> Thought you might be. But that's true, isn't it? That actually in, the, in Pentecost, what we see is the coming of the Spirit and all that believe in Jesus Christ. The sons and daughters, men and women, old and young, will all receive the Spirit of God and become this mad band of prophets that, that declare to the world the things of God. And I believe Mary was filled by the Spirit at this point in time. 
and became a prophet in her moment. And what she does, and she does this really cleverly, because we can't do it in the English language. She actually declares these things about God. She declares that God is merciful. She declares about his mighty deeds. She declares about how he scattered the proud, but brought down rulers, but lifted up the humble. She declares that he has filled the hungry and sent the rich away. And she declares that God has rescued Israel. She declares all these things, but she does it in this way. She says, God has done it, he's doing it, and he's going to continue to do it. Because she uses the aorist tense. So when you read that, what she's actually saying, and we can't do this in the English, it gets all very clumsy. But what she's saying is, God has done these things. These things are so certain, so secure, so, so definite, that he has done these things because he promised to do them. And when God promises to do things, he does them. So we can be absolutely certain. When God says he's going to do something, he will do it. So God has done it, she says. But God is doing it right in this moment. God is at work. He's doing his mighty work with the, the humble, the poor, the, 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 those who need grace and mercy are lifted up into the glory and the grace of God himself. He's doing it. But he's going to continue to do it. This is why it's prophetic. He's going to continue to do it. He's going to do it amongst his people, his church. That's what we're about. And in, in a sense, she writes a manifesto for all that follow in the footsteps who are going to worship her son, Jesus Christ. Are you up for that waypoint? Do you want to join in the carol? I do. I want to join in Mary's carol. I want my worship to be personal. I want to say, God, you've done mighty things, great things in my life. I want... What was my third? What was, I forgot my second point. <laughs> I want to be humble, privately humble. I want to know that, you know, it's not my cleverness, it's not my academic ability, it's not my status or place in society that matters. It's the fact that I was a sinner, I am a sinner, saved by grace. And I do not want to lift myself up, but I want God to lift me to the places that he wants me to be in. And I want to be his prophet. I want to join the mad band of prophets that declare the works of God, his promises, the things that he's doing right now, and the things he's going to do tomorrow. I want to be part of the carol. Let's pray. Lord, you have done remarkable and amazing things. Thank you for Mary. Thank you for this child that, that was prepared and ready. You saw her heart from a distance, from afar, from heaven. And you chose her. You knew that she was full of humility and love of you. You knew that she wanted to give herself to you fully. You knew that she was a voice that could speak truth into the world. And you chose her. And Lord, you choose us as well. Perhaps not to do her role, but to do the role that we are called to do in your purposes. We are your children. Lord, fill us with worship for you again. Lord, may we be lifted 
by your grace in your way. And may we, Lord Jesus, never stop speaking of the good things you have done, are doing, and will do as we call people to follow you. Amen.